Welcome to Slowpreneur, a podcast about building a business without the busy. I'm your host, Stephanie Pellet, and I'm a coach for thoughtful, values-based entrepreneurs just like you. On this show, we talk about creating a business with intention, heart, and sustainability in mind. Join me as I connect with my friends and clients and share my own reflections on why slow and steady entrepreneurship will always win the race. In today's episode, it's Bruno's first birthday, and we are celebrating by talking about the life and business lessons that I've learned from raising a dog over the past year. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Slowpreneur. Thank you so much for tuning in again. I never take it for granted that you are taking time out of your day to tune in and hear what I have to say. And today, the first thing that I have to say is a huge happy birthday wish to my beloved dog, Bruno Henry Hamilton Pellet. You have probably heard him spoken of many times on this podcast, but if you don't know Bruno, Bruno is a very cute, very adolescent teenage Australian Shepherd slash Golden Retriever mix. He has very floofy blonde tail feathers and a big floofy tail. He has a goofy smile. He has really cute markings over his eyes that have been there since he was just a tiny, tiny puppy. And he's a handful. (laughs) He's my buddy, but he is a handful. And today, the day that you're listening to this, is his first birthday. He was born on June 27th, 2021. I got him on September 1st, 2021, so I'm sure I'll have to mark that special anniversary separately as well. But yeah, he's one whole year old, which is remarkable to think about how much growing he has done and how good of a dog he is, having only been on this planet for exactly 12 months. It's kind of remarkable. It's a feat. I love him a lot. He brings so much joy to my life. He brings so much frustration to my life, (laughs) said in the exact same tone of voice. And he has been my biggest focus over the last several months since I got him because raising a puppy takes a lot more work than I ever anticipated. But in honor of Bruno's birthday today, I thought it could be funny and also interesting to do an episode based on what I have learned from Bruno about life and business. I actually had this as a inquiry from one of my readers of my newsletter who said that she would love to hear a podcast episode about training dogs and what that has taught me. And so I'm just broadening it out a little bit and making it funnier by saying these are the lessons that Bruno himself has taught me about business. Turns out he is quite the business guru. Uh, Not actually, he couldn't add up a column of numbers to save his life, but he does know a thing or two about how to be present, how to follow the good things in life, how to get good things coming to him, and how to be surrounded by love. And so I guess the caveat, quite obviously, is that these are not just business lessons. They're also life lessons that I've learned from my dog. (laughs) Um, But isn't that the same in everything, right? Our business is actually not fully separable from our life. The two things are inextricably connected. My friend Sonia likes to say entrepreneurial life is a mirror, meaning it will show you anything that needs to be shown to you in your journey. 
it will show you the places where you feel stuck. It will show you the places where you feel scared. It will show you the places where you need to grow. And it will also show you your strengths and the things that you're so grateful for. So as with everything that I talk about, I don't think it's possible to fully separate out business from life, nor do I personally want to. I think the best things happen when we can bring our full selves and our full skill set and our full knowledge base to our businesses, to our jobs, to our work. So Bruno has some thoughts on that. He has some thoughts on life. He has some thoughts on business. And there are quite a few that I've written down so far. So without further ado, let's get into them. Number one, progress is not linear. So this is something we've probably heard before and we think like, yeah, 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 progress is not linear, blah, blah, blah. But when you're raising a dog, nowhere is it more obvious than in the process of training that dog because you can have a rock solid skill one day, let's say his touch command, right? He can touch my hand with his nose, rock solid. Three days later, maybe he has never even heard of that command word before. (laughs) He stares at me like he has no idea what I'm talking about. He won't do it. No way. And then somehow over time, if I keep up and do the consistency and retrain him on it, then it comes back to being rock solid again. But it's not a straight line. And I think it's very easy to become discouraged, both in dog training and in business, when we think that things are supposed to be a straight line. Or when we hear progress is not linear and we think, yeah, sure, for maybe for other people, but not for me. We very often forget to prepare ourselves, to brace ourselves for the regression. And something that I've really had to do in dog training is, I wouldn't say I've done the best job of preparing myself for regression, but I have been getting a lot better at noticing what is a regression when I see it. So noticing that this doesn't mean he's just trying to be a jerk. (laughs) He's not just ignoring me on purpose. He's genuinely potentially a bit confused. He's been learning a lot of things. It's like a baby, right? Everything they see is something they're seeing for the first time. And so if there are other things that are competing with their attention, this command that you thought was really solid in one training session might not necessarily continue to be solid if he felt overstimulated at the time or if he had a lot of other things that his brain was working on. And so I'm getting better at recognizing a regression when I see it. And I think that if I apply this more broadly to business, it's important for us to be able to recognize when we are at the bottom of a curve that is going to go up again. Just because we're coming through a regression, maybe in the amount of engagement we're getting on our posts or how many people are opening our email newsletters or how many people are signing up for our course, you might have started really strong and you thought, wow, I've hit upon the formula. It's just working now. Great. I don't have to look at it ever again. But then we forget that there are so many competing factors that are messing things up for us, right? different market forces, different news events, different things that are going on in people's individual personal lives. And that means that the formula that we feel that we've hit upon, whether that's in our marketing or in our sales copy or in the way that we're structuring something in our business, that's not going to be a set it and forget it kind of thing as much as we might want it to be. 
we have to be ready and prepared that sometimes we might experience a regression in something that we thought was rock solid, something that we thought was locked down. We thought we had it on lock and then we realize that we actually don't or there's a reason that we need to change it up. And I think if we can prepare ourselves for the fact that these regressions or these backslides or these moments where things feel like they're not working, that those things are coming, that they will happen, if we can prepare ourselves for that, I think we're going to be in a much better place to keep our attitudes positive, right? The worst thing I can do if Bruno is in some kind of regression is yell at him, get mad at him, uh, act like he's messing with me. <laughs> Even though, you know, sometimes I kind of think this dog might be messing with me. Uh, he's that smart. But that's the worst thing I can do. If I treat it like this is the end, everything we've worked for is over, what's the point, I'm going to give up, what ends up happening is we reinforce the regression. We let the regression stand. A great example here, actually, that I'm thinking of as I'm recording this is that Bruno's rollover command used to be super strong. Then it kind of got into a conflict with his play dead command <laughs> because the two things kind of involve the same motion. Initially, he has to lie down on his side. And so now he doesn't even know his rollover command anymore because he only knows the play dead command. And this is reminding me that I have kind of given up. I've kind of thrown in the towel and thought, well, you know what? It's too hard for him, too hard for me. I don't know how to train him on this. Where am I going to try to train him on this? Because he needs a lot of space to be able to roll over. Um, and so this is reminding me that the most important thing we can have in life, in business, in dog training is a good attitude, is having hope that something will change in the future and can get better again. And so I think that I'm sharing this for us to all internalize that having the positive attitude is the number one most important thing and to not take regressions too seriously. They are one step down in an onward march forward. And so if we can keep ourselves in that positive, forward-looking place, we're going to be off to a really good start. Lesson number two from Bruno is that not all days are for all things. This is really important, especially in our businesses. So when it comes to Bruno, the, the reason I'll describe this is that there are some days where whether because of the way he's feeling or the way I'm feeling or some combination of the two, there are certain activities that are just not going to feel accessible to us collectively uh, to take on. So for instance, there are certain dog parks that require him to be more responsive to me because he has a lot more freedom. For example, the High Park Dog Trail, I actually can't take him there most of the time if it's just me because he will get too excited. He might run off. I've actually lost him in that trail once and it was very scary. He was fine. Um, and so that kind of activity is only going to be possible if maybe I have another person with me, right? Or Bruno got a really good sleep or he's feeling particularly treat motivated that day. And those are things that can fluctuate obviously from day to day. That might be an example of an activity that I don't do every day. If it's just me on my own, maybe I'm taking him to a much quieter dog park that I can handle where he can't get away from me. And it doesn't really matter as much whether he's gotten enough sleep or is feeling treat motivated because I know that the conditions are controlled. 
So we can expand this out to business by just reminding ourselves that not all days are for all activities. We had that reminder from Julia on her episode that we are cyclical beings, that what we need is going to change from day to day, from week to week, from month to month. And so I just think it's really important to pay attention to those cycles in yourself, to recognize when you wake up in the morning and you had a plan to record a podcast or reach out to somebody and make a big ask or post something on your Instagram stories with your full face and all your personality, and you wake up and you realize today is not for that thing. And this is where I think our faith comes in. This is where our patience comes in. Because sometimes when we have that feeling that today is not for that thing, we want to steamroll it, bulldoze it. We are like, well, that's all well and good, but that was my plan. And so let's just make it happen anyway. Let's just force it to happen because if I don't do it now, when will it get done? I think one of the reasons why I love tying this back to dog training, I don't know if anybody else is going to find this as interesting (laughs) as I do, but it's like if I thought that every day had to be for every single thing for Bruno, I would be putting myself and him into a lot of really bad situations, situations where he could not succeed, right? He could not win that situation. He couldn't give me the behavior I want. I couldn't stay calm in the way that I try to when it comes to him because we would both be feeling frustrated and at our limit and overwhelmed. And there have actually been times when I thought I was going to do something and I literally turned around and I said, you know what? (laughs) Today is not for that thing. I can't do it. I can feel in my own nervous system that I will not be able to handle this and neither will he because of course the two things are very related. He can sense my stress. I can sense his. So I think the the thing that I'm trying to point to is that it's very easy for us to see that in a living creature that's not ourselves. We can see, oh, this creature is not able to handle this thing right now, but we don't always extend that same grace to ourselves to say that we are also living creatures and that maybe we can't handle that thing today. And it requires having faith and trust and knowledge that there will come a day, maybe even sooner than you think. Maybe it's even later on that day once you've had a good breakfast and you've had a great conversation with your uh, colleague that you're feeling more energized to tackle that task. But we have to trust that the energy is coming that the task can and will get done at some point, even if it's not feeling possible to get it done at this point. And like I said, that requires faith because our default tendency is to push through and to force it and to decide that if we have made the choice yesterday that that's what's going on our to-do list today, that that's what needs to get done. But I think it's really important to cultivate a practice of patience with ourselves to cultivate a practice of noticing where we're at and noticing what is possible or what feels possible to us. And the thing that I always come back to is also remembering that forcing it doesn't actually get us the results that we want. A great example would be sometimes when I try to force myself to write my email newsletter and I force myself to sit down, but I don't have the inspiration. I don't have the idea. I don't know what I want to write about. It's not coming to me. And I could sit there for an hour and a half 
trying to painstakingly type out word by word, trying to find the thread. But every single time I have chosen differently, every single time I have chosen to go for a walk, even though it's Friday afternoon at 2 p.m. and I wanted to get it done by Friday afternoon at 4 p.m., go for a walk, clear my head, some kind of inspiration will come to me and I will be able to come back, sit down and do it in 20 minutes. So it's also remembering and collecting data and evidence for the fact that if I don't force it, there will be more inspired action later. If I don't make Bruno go to this dog park on a day where he can't handle it, the next time we go, maybe I'm going to be so over excited by how well he did. A great example of this was the Profoundry picnic, community picnic that I did last week. I haven't forced him lately into really overwhelming situations. And that whole day, I made sure he was feeling calm and regulated. And then I took him to the picnic and I was blown away by how well he did. If I had also tried to take him to the dog park that day, also put him in a lot of challenging situations, I may not have gotten the behavioral results that I saw that afternoon that I was so thrilled by. So it's just one example of how knowing when to not force ourselves to push it over the top can actually lead to much better results in the long run. This episode of Slowpreneur is sponsored by The Profoundry, a coaching and community program for thoughtful entrepreneurs run by yours truly. If you've been looking for a supportive group of business besties who share your values and really get it, this could be the perfect membership for you because these people are truly amazing. Every month in the program, we have a bunch of different calls. For example, productivity parties to get our work done together, workshops on things like project planning, balance and boundaries, or goal setting. And we often do creative think tanks that offer custom group coaching for members for whatever they might be struggling with. We also have a really supportive Slack community with weekly check-ins. We have a resource library full of recordings and interesting workshops and a business book club so that you can learn about business from interesting and diverse authors. If this sounds like your cup of tea, I'd love for you to come check it out. You can learn more and get your first productivity party pass for free by going to stephaniepellet.com slash profoundary. I would love to see you there. Number three, my actions have consequences. So this becomes very obvious in dog training because you notice what the dog takes away as a lesson from any given experience. So for example, if Bruno is sitting next to me at the table begging the whole evening while I'm eating my dinner, he's putting his cute chin on my knee. He's going to my friend and also putting his cute chin on their knee. (laughs) And the whole time we're ignoring him, the whole time we are not giving him food. But then in the very last moment, my willpower breaks and I think, you know what? I'll just give him a little piece of chicken. He's been so good. In our human minds, we think that the, the lesson that the dog will take away is that I've been so good. So now I get chicken. But actually, the lesson that the dog takes away is if I stay here long enough, I will get chicken. And if I get more annoying, maybe I'll get more chicken, right? They're just seeing it in terms of stimulus response. My behavior, 
the response, that is the lesson they take. And so one of the really difficult things about dog training is training yourself to recognize what will be the lesson that my dog learns here. If I let him bark at the neighborhood dog and I'm just like, yeah, you can stay out on the balcony that whole time. He loves going out on the balcony. (laughs) And when he first started going out, he would just bark at all of the neighbors and all of the dogs that walked by. And if I had just thought, well, you know what, it's annoying, but whatever, I'll just kind of yell at him, but I'm not taking anything away from him. He's not going to learn. He's going to learn, oh, mom is saying English, which I don't understand. Cool. But I would remove him. And so every time he barked, he had to come inside. He wasn't allowed to be outside in his fave place, smelling all the smells, seeing all the things, and bark. And so very, very quickly, this dog realized, oh, okay, if I'm outside and I bark, I have to go inside, so I'm not going to bark. That's just one example, right? So if we move this out more broadly, the way that I see this coming up a lot in business is how we communicate with people and clients and colleagues and coworkers, because it is a very, very slippery slide to say that I will just respond to this email or DM or text out of hours one time. And the logic that I'm doing that with is that this is an exception. And we think that the person on the other end is going to understand that our logic is that this is an exception. But actually the consequence that the other person understands is that if I message this person out of office time, they will respond to me. Period. The end. That's the lesson. So we have to get better at recognizing that we're teaching people how to treat us. We're teaching people what behaviors are going to be responded to and which ones are going to be ignored or redirected. A really common place this comes up for me is with email. I very, very rarely will respond to an email after working hours or on the weekend. And anytime I have, I've really regretted it. In fact, anytime I've looked at my email over the weekend, I've really regretted it because I am inadvertently teaching the person on the other end that it's totally okay to message me during that time and that I will be responsive to that. So I take pains that even if I am going to check my inbox after hours, I'm really going to try to schedule the message to go out during working hours. Same with Slack, right? In my Profoundry community, I put on like an out of office mode after working hours. I might look at a message if somebody sent me a DM. I might look at some of the posts, but I really try not to answer them until I'm really in a work mode. And I think this can go for anything, right? If you have clients who are asking you to do things more quickly or to give them a discount or to give them express shipping on their order or whatever, 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 you are essentially training them that the action that you take and the decision that you make will be what they can expect in the future, which can have ripple effects out. And I think we can do this in both a positive way and a negative way, right? Maybe in a negative way, it would be setting up a reputation that you're going to be accessible on call all hours of the day and night when that's actually not what you want. 
But in a positive way, maybe you want to establish a reputation of really showing up for your clients. Every single time they reach out to you, they get more than they bargain for in response. You are then training them to know that your customer service and your level of quality in the results you deliver is going to be above and beyond what they expected. That also is a consequence of your actions, right? Building that reputation is as a result of the things that you choose to do with your time and how you choose to show up for your clients or your customers. So I think the question to ask here is what lesson is this action teaching? If I am taking a particular action, what will the people around me learn from the way that I'm interacting with them? If we can apply that broadly to everything that we do in life and business, I think we're going to start to have more of the actions and the consequences that we want. If we have clients who are overstepping our boundaries constantly, that means that we are not teaching them what our boundaries are and then enforcing those boundaries. And so I think anytime that I'm seeing people struggling with that, it's usually as a result of them having weak boundaries or not enforcing policies that they had previously established. So the more that we can tackle those things, the better off we're going to be. Lesson number four is that we need to make sure that all our bars are full. So I got this idea, this concept from a great trainer that I spoke to at One Hounds Fly when I was having some real teenage challenges with Bruno. And she said that the metaphor she likes to think about is that idea of <laughs> the progress bars on The Sims. Does anyone remember these bars, right? So you had your energy bars for things like how full your social life was and if you were hungry and if you had had enough sleep and are you feeling fulfilled at work? I, I honestly haven't played the Sims in so long, so I don't remember a, what these were officially called <laughs> or B how many of them there were, but the concept is a really clear one, right? We can imagine these bars in our heads and we can see what might need to be filled up in various areas of our lives to make us feel like full, whole, grounded, rested people. And so she said that for each dog that she works with, she likes to start by making sure that their bars are full. They've had enough exercise, they've had enough food, they've had enough sleep, and they've had enough social time with other dogs. Unless all of those bars were full and ready to go, she wasn't going to be as upset or read too deeply into the fact that their behavior wasn't where she wanted it to be. Because how can we ask the dog to do something if they are not having all their needs met? So I really like this analogy. As you can tell, the metaphors write themselves. I think this is something that we could all embrace very strongly in our own lives. And that's just to ask ourselves, are all your bars full right now? Are all your needs getting met right now? Do you feel like you've gotten enough sleep? Do you feel like you've had enough connection with other people around you? Do you feel like you've had enough food today? <laughs> Have you gotten out of the house? Have you seen somewhere new recently? If those things aren't all true, then we are not going to be able to get the results we want from ourselves. And this has all kinds of unintended consequences, right? So I've noticed that if Bruno's bars aren't all full, he overreacts so much and kind of hilariously, although I feel bad for laughing, but he will just react over the top in fear about things that are not scary to him normally which again, the metaphors write themselves, right? Okay. Um, for example, we'll be walking down the street and if he's feeling a little agitated that day or he's feeling a little overtired, he might see a tarp 
<laughs> covering, you know, something. And he will howl as if it's the scariest, most alarming thing that he's ever seen in his life. Which isn't that kind of how we act, right? If we're feeling tired, if we're feeling overwhelmed, everything seems like a bigger deal than it actually is. We might howl. We might howl in fear at the thing that we're perceiving as this giant threat. And then tomorrow, once we've had a moment to chill, we've taken an evening to take some leisure time, connected with some of our friends, we realize that this big challenge that we thought we were facing is actually a lot more manageable than we thought yesterday when we were feeling really freaked out. So it's all just to say that if your needs aren't being fully met, you really can't expect yourself to either perform at the level that you might want to perform or just feel the way that you might want to feel. We kind of take this for granted as well. We think we can just push through. We can just make it happen. There are so many people out there that are trying to tell us what our needs actually are, right? All these business gurus who are like, you can wake up at 5 a.m. Everyone can wake up at 5 a.m. <laughs> and doesn't need as much sleep as you might think. And um, you don't need to eat breakfast. And basically just telling us that our true biological needs are not our biological needs. And for some people, right, intermittent fasting might be the perfect thing. It might really work for them. But the important thing to remember is that it's actually about tuning into yourself and what you know you need what you know you need to feel your best and then giving yourself that and not expecting you to feel better or perform better or do better or anything until all of those bars that are like hovering in the air above your head. Is that how the Sims works? Until all of those bars are full. I can't expect Bruno to be acting the way I know he can act, you know, if he's overtired or hot, too hot. That's been happening a lot lately where he's just hot right? And so I can't expect things of him if he doesn't have all his bars met. Which brings me to number five, which is a very short one. And this is just that Bruno teaches me to rest when you're tired. If Bruno is tired, I can't even explain to you how much he will not walk. <laughs> Yesterday we were walking home from the dog park. It was very hot and he had had a busy morning, you know, having a grand old time with all of, all of his friends. And it can be tricky, you know, because he has a lot of energy. And so when he's in the park, it's hard to know what his limit is because he still seems like he has so much energy. I try to take him out when he's starting to like, you know, calm down, lie in the shade, whatever. But sometimes I don't get it exactly right. And yesterday was one of those days. He clearly ran around a little bit more than he needed to. And on the way home, he will just lie down in any shady spot. He'll just lie down and I can't move him because I'm not going to drag him. And all my friends will tell you this has been like an ongoing hilarity and also frustration for me to try to get him home lately. Because if he's tired, he will just lie down in the middle of the sidewalk. Would that we could all do that, you know? <laughs> Yesterday, we were walking home and he literally just like took a nosedive. These, this couple were sitting on a bench and just were laughing their heads off because it was literally like one second he was walking, trotting along, the next second he was like, nope. <laughs> It's over now. Um, and he just needed some water and a little rest. And then we were on our way. And so it's all good. But it's just a hilarious depiction of how much he will not do it if he's tired. And a good lesson here for me is that I do not do that. 
I do not do the equivalent of taking a nosedive to have a little rest on the sidewalk if I'm feeling tired. No. What do I do? I keep on pushing. I keep on going. I don't take a nap. I don't calm down. I don't stop. I don't take a break. I just keep going. I'm working on it. (laughs) I think it's getting better. I think I'm really trying to rest when I'm tired. A good example was this week. I was kind of feeling under the weather. I hadn't been sleeping very well. And so I took a couple days off. And I'm recording this on Sunday because I didn't do it on an earlier day when I had planned to because I was really feeling like I was tired and I needed to rest. So this lesson from Bruno, again, is a very quick one. Rest when you're tired. That's it. That's the whole lesson. This is not an ad, it's a pause. I've decided to build an intentional break into every episode of Slowpreneur because I know I'm throwing a lot of ideas and hopefully inspiration your way, and I wanted to give you a moment to integrate it, to not have to pay attention, to not have to absorb anymore, to just marinate on what we've talked about so far and take a breath before we continue. get back to the show. Okay, moving right along to lesson number six. And this lesson is that positive reinforcement is the most effective. With Bruno, with any dog, yelling at them, screaming at them, that's not going to work. As our dog trainers told us, fear is a good motivator, but the problem is that fear has unintended consequences. If you scream at a dog and they become scared of you, then you might get the behavior you want in the short term because they learn, okay, I did this thing. I got yelled at. I don't want that to happen. So they might not do that behavior. But what ends up also happening is that they also don't really trust you anymore. And so they aren't motivated to do things for you in a happy way because you're their leader, you're their parent, and they want to please you. They're doing it because they're afraid of you. And for some people that might be okay, but I want to have a good relationship with my dog. I want my dog to love me. I want to love my dog. And I don't want us to have this aggressive relationship where he's only doing things because he's afraid. The other thing that can happen if you yell at them is that they might be accidentally looking at something that then gets sort of encoded as another thing to be afraid of at the moment that you are yelling at them. So if they're doing something like eating garbage and you scream at them and they look up and there's a little kid there, now maybe they're afraid of little kids, which we definitely do not want to have happen because that can have all kinds of negative consequences for the rest of the dog's life. So what the alternative is and what is most commonly used in dog training is positive reinforcement, meaning that when you see the dog doing the thing that you want, even for a moment, you give them praise. You give them treats, you give them a toy or play, any kind of reinforcer that the dog listens to and is motivated by is what you do in that exact moment that you notice something being done well. And it has been so cool for me to see on a tangible, concrete level with this dog that positive reinforcement works and it works better than anything else. When it comes to Bruno, I basically do three things. I offer tiny minor corrections with his word, which is uh uh-uh. I give him tons of praise and positive reinforcement for anything he's doing that I love. 
And then if he's doing something I don't love, I ignore him until he does the thing that I do want him to do. And I try to catch it at that exact moment. So if he's barking and he's barking and he's barking, I might start with an uh-uh. And if it works, great. You know, he stops, then I positively reinforce him. If he doesn't stop, I do not keep doing the correction word because he's clearly not listening to me. What I will do is I will wait until the exact moment that he briefly stops barking and I will say, yes, that's his, that's his positive word. And I will give him food. And then he's distracted. He's like, oh, we're doing something good. Okay. <laughs> I'll pay attention to that. I'll stop barking. And he learns, right? It doesn't seem like it's going to work in the moment, but over time you realize that it really, really does work. The positive reinforcement is the thing that works. And so this has just inspired me uh, to not only bring this into other areas of my life, right? With relationships, obviously I'm not training <laughs> the people around me, um, but using positive reinforcement is a much better motivational strategy than complaining or criticizing or being negative or trying to offer critique and criticism. Positively reinforcing the behaviors that I am happy with <laughs> makes me sound so cold hearted, but I'm trying to say it in a way that feels more broad. Okay. Let's put it in this way. How about with yourself, right? How about with yourself? Because your self-talk, if it's anything like mine, probably has a lot more to do with negative reinforcement, correction words, anger, frustration, yelling. Your mental narrative might be so full of garbage. If you're anything like me, that it's hard to even feel proud of anything you end up doing using those motivational strategies. So if you're screaming at yourself to get something done, and by screaming, I mean internally, right? You're not like literally screaming at yourself, although maybe, and then you eventually do that thing. How many of us have had the experience of that thing not feeling satisfying at all? That thing not feeling like something we're proud of because we know the kind of gross negative yucky self-talk that it took us to get there. Whereas if we are able to start cultivating this approach and this perspective of positive reinforcement, where we can recognize the good things that we're doing, praise ourselves for them, give ourselves little rewards for them, talk to ourselves the way we would talk to a very cute puppy dog, then I think we're going to get better results. This one sounds cheesy, you know, use positive reinforcement on yourself and you're going to get better results. I don't really mean for it to sound cheesy. I mean for it to sound like a viable alternative. Because again, going back to number two, not all days are for all things. I think we think that we can get there with negative reinforcement. We think that we can get there by just punishing ourselves, yelling at ourselves, making ourselves feel bad for not getting things done. But I'm here to tell you, that I see it working on a dog level. And if I see it working on a dog level, I feel really good about the fact that it could work on a human level with me, with the people around me, with kids, I imagine, if you have kids, right? We can get so much further by using positive reinforcement in the moments and the behaviors that we love in ourselves and in others than we can by just correcting and criticizing and punishing to try to get the behavior that we want. And the very last lesson, lesson number seven, is that it's okay to bring your full self to work. In the time that I've had Bruno, I have made decisions to incorporate him into my business 
in ways that I was kind of afraid to do at first. You know, I got him and then two weeks later I had the Profoundary birthday party, which was an all day (laughs) community event. Uh, I still don't know how I got through that because we were in the peak of potty training. We were in the peak of (laughs) getting to know each other time, right? Somehow I got through it and it was okay. The same was true when I did the retreat in February. I had this vision in my mind of wanting to get a dog, wanting to bring my dog on retreats. But when it came time to bring him, I wasn't sure if we were ready. You know, we were facing some training challenges as we are going to be forever, probably. And I was nervous about being there with him and how would he do? And would he be chill? Would he be really annoying and jump up on people? But I decided to be brave and bring him anyway. And he was great. He did a great job. And people in the feedback form were saying how much he added to the experience, which was something that warmed my heart so much because that was something I had hoped and dreamed about before getting a dog was that he could be around and give people love and support and joy, you know, and lightness just by being there. And in February, he really did. And I was shown that even though I was kind of scared to show that side of myself, right, to not be just the professional business coach, but also somebody who is actively struggling with training a dog, raising a dog, I could bring that to the retreat. I could bring that to my clients and that it would be okay. And also most recently, I mentioned the picnic earlier, and it just really was such an example of me trusting. Again, I was really nervous. I was texting Mike beforehand being like, should I leave him at home? I'm kind of nervous to bring him. What if he goes crazy? What if he escapes and goes in the creek, which has happened (laughs) at that exact picnic spot many times before. He just took off, chased the ducks, swam for 20 minutes with me chasing him down the bank, trying to get him out. (laughs) But ultimately I decided, you know what, if I have to show up and I am not perfect and my dog is not perfect, that will be okay. And he was great. (laughs) He was not perfect because we're human beings, we're dog beings and we're not perfect, but he was pretty close. He was pretty close to perfect. He did take off a couple times to go visit the big... (laughs) swarms of teenagers who were celebrating their last day of school. He did rip out a lot of grass when he got frustrated. He did sometimes take off and almost gave people rug burn, rope burn, sorry, with his leash. But on the whole, he was pretty good and he hung out. And I think why I'm telling all these stories is just as a reminder that you don't have to be the soulless ideal worker that the workplace wants you to be, where you have no caregiving responsibilities, you can stay really late, you can come in really early, you never have to take time off for emergencies. Bruno had some really intense stomach issues earlier this week, right before the picnic, and I had to take time off work to take him to the vet and to watch him and to deal with him, and I had to step away from my business to do that. That's okay, right? We're not ideal workers because the ideal worker doesn't really exist. Or if the ideal worker does exist, it's because he or she or they probably has a support person at home or several support people that they're paying uh, to do all of the 
household jobs to keep food in the fridge, to make meals, to take care of any little beings that might be in the ideal worker's life. That's the only way it works. And so I think it can be an act of resistance for each of us to show up and say, I am not the ideal worker. (laughs) I do have health challenges that I need to take time off work for. I do have people in my life that I care give for. I do have responsibilities outside of my job. And I think we can do this, of course, if we have a job that's secure, but we can also model it in our businesses and say that we're human. We're human and we have other things going on and that's okay. We don't have to try to be this buttoned up image. I really think when I started my business and before getting Bruno, I really thought I had to be that. I had to only show um, very carefully curated versions of myself to keep up appearances that I was doing great and I was in control, you know? (laughs) And I think uh, getting this dog has humbled me and recognize and, and helping me recognize that I am not always in control. I am not always doing great. Sometimes I have insomnia because I'm worrying about him and worrying about all the things I have to do. And sometimes I feel overwhelmed and sometimes I feel stressed and sometimes I have to take time off work to deal with him. And so I think that he has been my greatest teacher in that way. And in so many ways in recognizing that None of us actually um, is this perfect ideal worker who has no other responsibilities outside of their job, nor do I want to be. And so this final lesson is to encourage you that if there are parts of you that you feel nervous about bringing into your business or into your, your job, I think that they could actually be assets to people. It can help make you more relatable. It can help you get more support, right? I think of Charlie Goss, who is a fashion influencer that I follow on Instagram. And she teaches us how to dress. That's her core thing. But she is also a two-time cancer survivor who just got the very devastating news that her cancer has come back. And she doesn't need to share that, right, on her channels. I think a lot of business gurus would probably tell her not to because it's not relevant to her target audience and her branding and blah, 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 blah. But she has been so transparent and so open. And I think as a result has gotten more support. It humanizes her. It helps us to connect with her and potentially even be there for her in ways that we couldn't if she was thinking that there had to be this separation of her business and her personal life. She does have boundaries, of course, in the way that she talks about it and the amount of advice that she is interested in receiving, which is aka zero. (laughs) She doesn't want advice from anybody. But in being open and showing the human behind the business owner, she's able to model new ways of doing business that I think are really inspiring. Do I wish she wasn't going through that? Yes, absolutely. But I do think that her sharing it with us is very generous and also hopefully ends up being very supportive to her as well. I have found that the more that I share about Bruno and the challenges that I have with him, the more support that I'm able to receive from the people around me. And so I think all of this is to say that if you have something that you're kind of holding back in your business, I encourage you to think about how you could integrate it. How can you bring all parts of yourself to your work? How can you show up 
in a way that feels holistic and whole for you. That's our last lesson from Bruno. So as you can see, raising this dog has been a journey and it continues to be. I think it will continue to be forever because having a mirror, just as entrepreneurial life is a mirror, raising a dog or raising a human is a mirror. It shows you parts of yourself that you might not have otherwise seen. And so the more that we take on these kinds of challenges, the more we can learn about ourselves and our growth and the things that we're not seeing that someone else can show to us. So I have been so happy to have this learning experience with Bruno. I hope that you have found some of these lessons interesting. I'm sure there will be more. And today on Bruno's birthday, I am wishing you all the things that Bruno likes best. He loves to be running around in a field <laughs> with his friends. He loves having a good meal. He loves cuddles and he loves fresh air and sunshine. So I hope that you get all of those things too. And I'm wishing you such a good day. This is actually our last episode before a little summer sabbatical that myself and the podcast will be going on. I'm going on a summer vacation. And then when I get back, I'm going to take a couple weeks to regroup, but I will be back in your feed very soon, probably sometime in July or August. And I really hope that in the meantime, you have a beautiful summer surrounded by all of your and Bruno's favorite things. Thanks so much for listening to Slowpreneur. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend or reach out and let me know at hello at stephaniepellet.com. I would love to hear from you. As always, you can find show notes for this and all episodes at stephaniepellet.com slash slowpreneur. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you soon.